Vintage Sand. Hey, hey, it's us. Hello, hello, hello. It's Vintage Sand. Did you miss us? You did. You can say it to us. It's okay. We're family. Manson family, but we're family, right, guys? So we're um, still alive. <laughs> we're still alive. I got two shots. Mike's got one, and John's got John's got none. But we're working on it. So we're headed towards vaccination. And the thought that someday we'll be able to do this live in a room again—wouldn't that be lovely? Yay! Woohoo! How the hell are you guys? What's happening? Not that much. Trying to stay positive. <laughs> yeah, positive. New president helps tremendously. But uh, not quite yes. as much as I had hoped. But yeah, I'm hoping to someday soon teach real live students in a real live classroom again. That would be nice. Uh, I'm it's going to happen. I mean, I think I think we may have started to turn a corner. I mean, we'll we'll talk more about this next episode. But uh, you know, I I would say looking. I've seen. I'm going to see Minari. I'm going to see it. It's. I'm, I got a ticket to screen Minari on Thursday. You saw it, Michael? No, not yet. I, I'm going to see it through SAG because it's a not, It's got three nominations. Yeah, I'm dying to see it. So, yeah, and, I and, but otherwise, I've. I mean, easy, I don't know about you guys. Sneak preview. My favorite movie of the year by far was Nomadland. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I hear it's very depressing. I haven't seen it yet. Yes and no. It is, but boy, I'm telling you, Chloe Zhao is someone we had mentioned. Chloe Zhao very briefly in our. I think it was episode 20, we did the future auteurs. And uh -huh. I think as it's hard being right as often as we are, and yet somehow we manage it. And stay humble too. How do we do it? <laughs> we, speaking of dislocation, uh, how's that for a second? Um, we have finally, it took us 27 episodes, but we have finally decided to look east. Every episode that we have done so far has been in one way or another centered on Hollywood, and it was John's inspiration to look to the East, as they say, as the Doobie Brothers said in China Grove, and uh, to, uh, we narrowed it down to do, you know, who was now without any doubt, I would say, after last year's Oscars, uh, sort of a director's study, a director's cut on the most promising um, director to come out of the Far East in ages, which is, of course, Korea, South Korea's Bong Joon-ho. And, um, to, to me, that when did you guys first hear about South Korean film? When did you? I mean, you you knew there was an industry, but I had. What's the first South Korean film that you saw? I think it was Parasite. <laughs> to be honest. Um, well, no, I take that back. <laughs> did you guys see Old Boy when it came I'm, out? I'm the original? Thinking, yes, I had I seen Old others. Boy. There was one I caught it. I think the name of it was. Um, oh, uh, the movie. The movie I first saw from South Korea was The Way Home, which is very sweet story about um, a little boy whose mother has to, she has, she lost her job. She's trying to get a new business started and she brings him to his grandmother who he had never met before. The grandmother is, is moot and she lives in a rural area. He's never met her before and suddenly he's put in this environment uh, where there's no electricity, and he he's there's no the TV doesn't work well and he's just trying to cope. I mean, really, the whole movie is about him and and how their relationship grows. Because at first he really really hates it there, but eventually uh, he becomes very close to the grandmother, and you see the the love grow between them. It was a very sweet story. 
I mean, I, I remember seeing Old Boy in 04, and I thought that was going to be the breakout film because, you know, it's brutal. But It's too and, brutal. I and if you ever see, want to see someone swallow a live octopus whole, then Old Boy is your film. But the opening half hour of Old Boy is among the best things I've ever seen in film. But it turns out that it was really Bong Joon-ho who becomes the, the, the gateway film uh, director for South Korea with the host in 06, which I saw on, and I've been a fan of his ever since. And, you know, that's, in watching for this, I, I got to see it again, and there's nothing quite like that. I absolutely love that movie. You know, it, it's, it's very possible that these guys are gonna be what the Mexicans were 10, 15, 20 years ago, and just this wave coming out of filmmakers from a place that we didn't know even existed. Well, remember guys, we, no one knew anything about Japanese film until Rashomon showed up in 1950. And then all of a sudden, everyone- That's right. Right? Everyone quote unquote discovered Ozu and Mizoguchi and all the other guys. And then all of a sudden, yeah. oh, Japan has a film industry. So guess what? South Korea has a film yeah. industry. I mean, Lord knows they've taken over the pop charts so with B BTS and the other K-pop groups. So why not film? The other thing too about, I mean, South Korea, because Okja was made Netflix, through Netflix. There was a Netflix movie. And, um, and there are a lot of original movies there that are on Netflix and, and original series that are, that are on Netflix from South Korea. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it turns out to so be it's a, a booming bed. industry. It is a booming industry and uh, you know, my, if I had to do my English teacher thing and do an overall you know, sort of thesis of Bang Joon-ho's work before we get into the specific films, it's that he is, is that South Korea is a country that has not had time to evolve through the normal processes of industrialization and the stages of capitalism. It was kind of a backwater, second thought kind of country and then boom, it just exploded yeah. with, you know, with electronics and, and, and the music and the film. And it looks like this amazing technicolor land of opportunity. And it is for very few. But that sense of dislocation, that sense of being ripped out of one way of life and being thrown into this new way of life where it's literally dog eat dog, uh, in, as in his first film, um, <laughs> it's... It, it's and it's not surprising that in so many different ways, his films are about tensions of social class. I mean, sometimes like in, in uh, Snowpiercer, he yeah. kind of hits and, you over the head with it. But in and Parasite, dysfunctional families. Right, and one thing, uh, another thing that you will notice that because of that sense of dislocation, there is a complete lack, the authorities come off so badly in his films. The universities, think about um, uh, the professor, you know, looking for a bribe to give the main character a job in, uh, in, um, in Barking Dogs Don't Fight, or, yeah. or the cops in Memories of Murder, my God, Memories of Murder opens with the worst, someone once called it a procedural with no procedure. They, they yeah. absolutely destroy the crime scene where the first of these serial killings is yes. taking place. And, you know, they end up in Memories of Murder, what, beating three different confessions out of three different suspects and end up not catching the killer. No, so, and there's no trust in the army and there's no, and there's no, there's no trust in any of the institutions that should hold. I was going to say that, you know, South Korea, 
South Korea is also a place that is living under the, the constant fear of apocalypse. Exactly. They're, they're, they're in the back of their mind every single day. They're always thinking, is, is this the day that North Korea is going to attack us? And in Memories of Murder, which is set in 1988, there are two civil defense drills. And, and also remember yes. that in Parasite, technically, that room that, that, that we can spoiler alert, the room that- yeah, it's a bunker. Uh, yeah, the housekeeper's house is a panic room. It's a bunker in case Kim Jong-un pushes the button, yeah. which I love yeah. how they make fun of that yeah. when they get hold of the phone and the video of the family and the wife is like, this is like the launch codes. I'm so excited about this. And she pretends she's Kim Jong-un. Um, so it's- uh, Another movie from South Korea that I just wanted to quickly mention, another movie from South Korea I wanted to quickly mention that I saw that was really got a lot of notice a couple of years ago is Burning. I, I'm not sure if you guys saw that. I that saw Burning. Really, see. really good. I did. Yeah, and, I, I thought it yeah, was a should, little You should see that, Josh. I will, I will definitely. And I thought, it was, I thought it was very good. I, I liked it. I just, after coming out of it, I remember thinking, what was the big deal, frankly? I, I, I just, I, I thought parts of it were very slow. Fully paced film, but it's very, it's very intense. I, I mean, this is a country where since 1984 of their presidents have been either impeached and or imprisoned for corruption. I mean, the level of corruption in the country is just off the chart. And we see that that's at the macro level. We see it in all of his films at the micro level. Everyone's always bribing everybody. Everyone's always paying everybody off. Everyone's got three different side hustles going on to make money. And it's just, it's a country that had this late stage capitalism modernization thrust on it and just basically said, deal with it. And what Bong said, you know, we yeah, talk yeah. a lot about economic inequality in our country. Uh, an interview I read with Bong in The Guardian, he said, it's nothing like what it is in South Korea. It's horrifying. You are either on one side of the chasm or the other. And people in Bong's films do anything they can legal and extra legal to make sure that they or their families don't end up on the wrong side of that line. It's a rapidly progressing right. society, but that progress is coming with a terrible social and psychological cost. And those characters live at the heart of Bong's film. Well, the first one, I mean, what the, co the aspiring college professor has to do <laughs> to be able to get a professorship. Yep, just put together a little $10,000 bribe. Everybody at home, we're talking about barking dogs don't bite from O2. And one of the great things about Parasite is that it, it pushed Neon to uh, make Barking Dogs Don't Bite and his second film, Memories of Murder from O4, uh, much more easily available. They were not before that. Yeah, so tell me about, about Barking Dogs Don't yes. Bite. What did you guys think? Um, I have mixed feelings. You were saying he's kind of disowned it a little bit. Yeah, there's an interview with him from last year. I forget where. Uh, it was in English, most of it are translated, and he said he wished he hadn't made it. He was not happy with the result. And it's yeah. basically... Why? I, he didn't really go into it. He just didn't even want to talk about it. <laughs> it's uneven. It's, it's a first work. It is it's uneven, uneven, but I... I, except for Parasite, frankly, you guys are going to hate me for saying this. I have found all five, other four of the movies that I've seen of his to be uneven. Oh, abs absolutely. I think yeah. Parasite, Parasite was the I film where he pulls it all together. Yeah. 
But um, in yeah. this one, it was definitely, the one thing I have to say about all of his films, and definitely for this one, you never know where it's going to go. The originality of this man yes. is incredible. Yeah. That's, I was going to say, I mean, I, I, it's a very, very original premise. Yeah, well, although uh, I and, didn't and think of it. And also he takes a big risk. He, he takes a big risk in the fact that, you know, you're the main character at the beginning is someone that's going to throw a dog off the top of a building. And you have to stay with that character to watch right. the movie. <laughs> yeah. And we am ultimately... Uh, I, did, we ultimately I did think of the Seinfeld episode, though, when Elaine was having problems with dogs, Newman and George, I mean, Newman and uh, Kramer. Oh, the cat, yeah, the dog, right, that episode, yep. <laughs> with Newman in the dark and the cigarette, exactly. Yeah. Well, we, a dog eventually does go flying over the edge, along with a pair of binoculars, which gets everyone yes. very upset. And, yeah. um, and there, but there, there, there are some scenes in there that really you can see are setting him up. For example, someone, you know, when it turns out that the person who actually killed the dog is the homeless guy who eats dogs, which mm -hmm. is an old tradition, you know, let's, let's not get too upset oh, yeah. about that. The authorities say, well, who would have ever imagined that anyone would live under a building? And yet that <laughs> takes you right to, and that takes you right to Parasite. Who would exactly. ever have imagined yeah. that someone would live under a building? Yeah. And, yeah. but another Bond thing that comes up in Barking Dogs is lots of strong young women in Bond films. Yes. Lots yes. of them. Yes. yes. I love the word. But also, but, and also, again, that theme of dysfunctional family or dysfunctional relationships. I mean, the, the couple, I mean, <laughs> she's constantly browbeating him. And maybe oh, yeah. deservedly so. But, um, but he's very it good is, at... It is very well acted. He's very good at shelling walnuts for her. That's all he does for her, basically, is shell walnuts. But then, <laughs> <What's> but, <funny? laughs> then she, but then we find out that she's lost her job and she was fired because yeah. she got pregnant. She didn't do anything wrong. So that's right. the kind of economic dislocation and just living on that thinnest edge where you're like one inch away from falling into the abyss for good. And then when we do find out that she's using most of her money apart from the money that she bought the dog with the 300 was she was going to use all the money, severance pay for him yeah right yes and to, you believe to, it to hell absolutely so no, she, absolutely she doesn't become a harridan anymore well and that's the other thing and one of the things i love so much about parasite is that it's not good guys against bad that's the problem with snowpiercer is that the heroes are the poor folks in the back of the train and the rich folks are the evil ones and it's way too cut and dry yeah, it, it's it's much. It, there's always some subtlety yeah. there, and we'll talk a lot about it when we get to Parasite. But my yeah. my favorite moment in Barking Dogs Don't Bite is the story of Boiler Sam. Remember the story of Boiler yeah. Sam, and <laughs> <laughs> it's so Edgar Allan Poe. It's brilliant. Boiler Sam, who they brick yeah. up, yes. like in Cask of Amontillado, they brick him up in there so he won't say anything about the the contractor pocketing all this extra money and using the cheap materials to build the building. And again, there's your South Korean corruption. There's the first example of it in Bong's work. He said that when he was very young, a child, he used to watch all these American movies on TV, all these older American movies on TV, but in South Korea, they were always edited. Oh. So, so there were sometimes, so a lot of times he'd be watching a movie, he just didn't understand it because it was edited. 
<laughs> and then when he started to get a little older, he was able to see, he said that there was uh, a U.S. Army camp that would get movies, and apparently his family would go to see the movies, and he started saying, oh, that's, now I understand. <laughs> well, and that's, and that to go general again, that's another theme that runs through his films is South Korea's relationship with the United States. I mean, especially yes. in, the, in, in the host where it's made very clear, it opens in English. And you're like, wait, I thought yeah, this was, was a real film. Yeah. What's going on here? And it turns yeah. out we were the ones who dumped all the formaldehyde into the Han River and then created yeah. that thing that evolves and it grows into the monster. And in Snowpiercer, we're the ones who released the chemical into the air, C7, right? The right. one that actually ends right. up freezing the whole world and killing everything. So yeah, it's a and Americans don't come off too well in Okja either. No. American, American corporations. Oh, so, no. Yeah, no, no. I think yeah. that's right, John. I think South Korea's, you know, sort of love-hate relationship with America is another sort of sub-theme that runs through all of, uh, all of Bond's films, in a way. Well, and I get this. Yes. Well, I get this. It's a parasite. No, that's true. But in Memories of Murder, for example, that was based on the true case. There had never been a serial killer in South Korea before, ever. And they, you right. can see that the cops are basically dealing with it based on how they see American cops on TV shows handle uh, yeah. rough cases. I mean, and so you could argue that he's saying in Memories of Murder that one of our imports to South Korea is serial killing. And of course, you guys know the story that they eventually caught the guy because of the film. Did you no, know that story? Know. Yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, uh, it was just last, uh, 2019. They, they found him. They finally put everything together and it found was, that he had murdered even more people. It was a guy who was already in jail for killing his sister-in-law. And when Memories of Murder got some more attention after Parasite went big, this guy actually confessed to the killings that are depicted in the film, which, are, which is fascinating. So yeah, barking dogs don't yeah, they were wildly uneven. But, and how about that chase scene through the apartment complex? Yes. Oh, that was great. Oh, that was so great. Good. Which is where he lived. He lived there, you know. That's actually his. Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah, yeah no, he's, he's very, very, very good at anything that's very kinetic. Yes. Well, and he, yeah, I mean, he does that thing with the, the slow motion panning in the host that I've never quite seen anything like that in those. Yeah. And he also does that. I always think of John Ford in Grapes of Wrath where to sort of illustrate the powerlessness of the characters, you always see a tiny figure in the background against this vast backdrop. And he does that all the time. I think he does that once a film. Yeah. Again, yeah. trying to show the powerlessness of the regular people in this system that's changing so rapidly every day. But it was really interesting though, the first movie, about Barking Dogs Never Bite, which is a statement I don't want to test. Um, <laughs> How he mixes, I mean, there's, there's parts of it that are very funny, and there's also parts of it that are extremely sad. Oh, yeah, the uh, old lady. Well, and that, and, yeah. John, oh, oh it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, I think you totally hit on, hit on what, what's, I mean, he's clearly influenced by other filmmakers. There are tons of moments where you can point at it and say, oh, he's borrowing yeah. here. I mean, Mother is an extreme version of, an, of a late Hitchcock film, but what he does better than anybody I've ever seen is mixed tones. John, I think you're exactly right because look how Parasite turn, uh, turns on a dime. 
It's this yeah, sort yeah. of comedy of manners, of social class. And then we find out what's downstairs and it's something completely different. And it doesn't feel artificial. And it doesn't, exactly. I was just gonna say, it doesn't feel at all contrived. It doesn't take you out of the movie. It all feels completely natural, organic. You, you, you believe it and you go with it. Absolutely. He, to me, he is, and I'm throwing everyone we've talked about, all of our heroes in there. He is the master of multiple tones and of changing back and forth and pivoting, yet somehow it actually works. And that's, I think, is his most, most outstanding quality as a filmmaker. It's almost impossible to do. We've talked before here, how, how hard is it to make a film like Sullivan's Travels or Crimes and Misdemeanors, where you're mixing sort of gently comic and gently dramatic tone. Here he's, he's doing just these incredible 180s in an instant, and it completely yeah. works. I totally agree with you guys on that. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's move to memories of murder. Which, well, I want to uh, say before we move, my, we move to, I just want I just want to say that I think that that they do not in Barking Dogs Never Bite is great. She's so good in that. And I have a, I have a quick question. The part when they meet each other towards the end, after uh, you know the aspiring professor has gone out with the person he's bribing and he gets really really drunk and she finds him and then he confesses to her and he says don't you can't look at the back of my head and he starts running does she figure it out because there's that moment where she points and like she has an expression on her face but i think she's just noticing that he lost his shoe because then she brings yeah. it back to him and she has a smile on her face i would i got the sense that she didn't quite know what he was talking about yeah me too yeah, because she was a little drunk. She was a little drunk too. And then at the end, well, we find she finally got her wish to go hiking. But what's this poor lady gonna do? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 those it's kind of an ambiguous endings. ending. Yeah, his endings are often very yes. ambiguous. Like the the ending of Parasite. My goodness, you know, is that really happening? Has the son fulfilled his dream, become rich, and bought the house? And it's this is really happening. But it happens in the farthest far shot you've ever seen in your life. You can barely yes. see characters. And you're like, wait, is this a yeah. dream? Is this real? What's going on here? So, and the polar bear at the end of Snowpiercer. You know, does this mean that we're going to be okay and we'll be we'll we'll reestablish ourselves on land, or we don't know? I love the ambiguity at the end of his films. I love it. Um, and even the host, because the host ends tragically, but not because it's a sacrifice she makes, but she sacrifices so that the little boy can live. That's, and that's, I, I love the host, the host is so good. So let, let's get to Memories of Murder. Let's, which let's get me, to the next one. Yeah, Memories of Murder was the real discovery for me because I had never seen it. And you know, it became much more easily available, as I said, after his success with Parasite. And as I mentioned, based on the real case from 1988, a series of uh, of serial killings uh, in a town, a fairly uh, podunk kind of town, not, uh, and they bring in the detective from Seoul, and they have, what, it's three suspects, none of whom did it, and I have to say here that one of the thing about Bong, things about Bong that really bothers me is that very often, too often, there are characters who have an intellectual disability, usually a young man, and I, I just, I hate the fact that the first suspect in Memories of Murder is, you know, they, they, they just bully him into and beat him into confessing. Oh, wow, they torture him. Yeah. They torture him. Up. Well, the third guy, they hang from his ankles upside down. 
Yeah. And then, the, and then the chief finds out what they're doing and he completely loses it and takes that one guy off the case. Um, I have to say, I mean, I know that Memories of Murder, a lot of people have praised it as, as a masterpiece. I'm not crazy about it. I, I think it's, then again, I'm not really crazy about movies like that. I think it's very, very grim. And by the, I think there's some really, really good things in it. It's very well acted. But by the end of the movie, I was kind of relieved. And I don't have a desire to watch it again. Well, and I, I, I someone, uh, there was a critic who said that the last shot reminded him of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. When the detective who's retired since then and now sells those juicer machines, you know, goes back to the pipe where they found the body at the beginning of the film. And the little girl comes yeah. by and says, what are you doing? And, and then it's like, no, we haven't found him yet. And then he looks right at the camera. Like, yeah. you're out there. I'm going to get you. That was awesome. <laughs> well, uh, no, well, yeah, because she, she says, she says, oh, he was, you know, he was very, you know, simple looking, very ordinary looking. And you see in his face that something clicks. Like, I think I know who it is. But, but there are moments there but that are not sure. There are moments in the film, back to what you were saying about tone, that are just hilarious. Like when the one detective you know, torture, he kicks them with an iron toe boot, but he always puts that little boot cozy over it, the little knitted boot cozy on it, before, yeah. so he doesn't leave any prints or anything. And then when he is in the fight at the restaurant and he eventually ends up losing his leg, when they amputate his leg, you see the little boot cozy in the background. Yeah, so because of tetanus. It's sort of like, you know, he got his comeuppance. I mean, it, there's just nothing quite like the ships in that. Michael, what did you think about it? I didn't see it. Oh, you didn't see that one? Yeah, it, it, it is. It, no, it is absolutely worth seeing. And, I will. And how many times do you have a serial killer movie where we don't catch the killer? Zodiac is the only one that comes yeah. to my mind. Uh, and this is a very different. <laughs> yeah, everyone loves Zodiac. Can you guys tell I me? I don't. I thought it was two pretty good I've never, movies. I've never seen it. Eh. And everyone's like, oh, te technologically, Fincher's a genius. I'm like, mm. I think Fincher's kind of overrated. I'm sorry. Well, I, I love, give me 90s Fincher. Give me seven, the game and Fight Club. That's the Fincher. I, I don't like the game. I don't like Fight Club. I've never seen seven. Interesting. Um, <laughs> and, but uh, you guys did see Mank, right? Yes. It was okay. Who's excited. it for? I know, I know, I know. Who's it for? Who's and for Amanda Seyfried, uh, you know, reviving oh, Marion's reputation. Yeah, he's marvelous. But I, I think I—I I don't know if I told you this before. I just finished a biography of of Herbert and uh, Joseph Mankiewicz, and all that stuff about the governorship. You know, Sinclair. Captain Sinclair. Uh, Sinclair Captain yeah. Sinclair. Uh, Mank. Um, Herman Mankiewicz had nothing to do with it. That was all kind of made up. Well, he he sort of, as I recall the movie, he inadvertently sets it off. No, no he basically he kind of sarcastically says to MGM, "Well, you know, Falberg, you got all this power. Why don't you use no, that's it?" That's all made it. That's all made up. Yes, and and so. even um, um, I forget uh, what's his name, the grandson. Ben Mankiewicz, in an interview, admitted that that part was all made up. He, Joseph Mankiewicz, had some, when he was in his producing days, he was the one who was trying to, um, who got, who was making pro, uh, anti 
up in Sinclair. But all that stuff about uh, Herman. Not true. And all that stuff about people coming to the farm and uh, trying to talk him out of uh, releasing it. That didn't happen either because nobody had seen that script. That was all made up, including Marion well, Davies. It was, a, it was a, a very disappointing movie. Yeah, it's just, yeah. you know, if you're going to do right, something, very well acted, but if you're going to do this, something that specific, anyway, that's another well. episode. That's that's, an, that's another two episodes. So back to Bong, John. This the scene that I loved most from Memories of Murder was the chase scene through the mine at night. That incredible chase scene where they Ooh, both that was, a, and again, oh and then and God. yeah, that was excellent. And again, that's a, another chasing, another another use of that that kinetic energy, that that propellant kind of kind of thing that he does so well. Yeah, I, it, the movie is worth it. If I were showing one scene from Memories of Murder, it would be when they've got their third suspect in their sights and he runs away from them and they, it, it's, it's sort of like a gypsum mine or something at night and he eludes them a couple of times. It's amazing. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah. So that, that's definitely worth seeing. And then The Host in 2006, which as we said at the beginning, sort of put Bong Joon-ho on the map. And boy, you want to talk about your combination of tones. It's a horror movie. It's sort of a sci-fi movie, and it's also hilarious all the way throughout. Well, I think it's a good example of someone using a, a genre film, you know, a, a monster movie, to explore the themes that he really is interested in, which is family relationships, uh, politics and bureaucracy, and environmental issues. I can give it no higher compliment to say it's the best monster movie I ever saw. Yeah, but and it, I, I generally hate monster movies. So no, I and it's reminiscent it. of those clunky kind of 50s monster movies like Godzilla or Them, yeah. you know, yeah. which, you know, we're messing with nuclear weapons and what we're going to get is this creature that's coming to destroy us. And that's the creature in, um, you know, from the pouring the form, that wonderful uh, panning shot of all the endless bottles of formaldehyde. And then he yeah. dissolves that into a shot of the Han River flowing and the two fishermen... Yeah you know, discover the little mutant baby version of it. And then yeah. the next thing you know, it's this yeah. enormous thing swinging <laughs> from the fridge. Oh my God. But also, I mean, usually, usually movies of that type, a, a so-called monster movie or a Hitchcock did this a lot of times too, is that by the ending, it's sort of like it's resolved and you feel good. And the people you were really like attached to, you know, are all okay and safe. This movie rips your heart out. Yeah. Oh my God, especially at the end. And again, another one of Bong's strong young women, what she does to survive there and to take care of the little boy when he gets dumped there too by yeah. the monster is just incredible. I yeah. love the scene where uh, the family is uh, looking at the, you know, the montage of people who, are who have died and then they start oh arguing. <laughs> I mean, it is such a mixture of pathos and humor and it works. Yeah. Yep, and there, and there again, how it works. setting us up for Parasite after the flood is the whole neighborhood sleeping on the floor of the gym in the house. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, there's, there's ele elements of Parasite. He was working on it all the way, all the way through. And again, yeah. with the family stuff that, first of all, a, a real, you could do a whole PhD th thesis on meals in Bang Joon-ho's films. Meals oh, yeah. He really loves his yeah. important. And I, I love my favorite meal in The Host is when they're, although The Host is making a meal. And of course, the, the you know, the lovely joke 
that it opens with us eating squid. You know, he's trying to cook the squid and he steals one of the legs for himself and the grandfather catches him. And, and so ultimately we are becoming lunch for the squid, for the oversized squid, <laughs> which is lovely. <laughs> so what else, what else stuck in your mind about the host? I mean, I, it deserved the fame it brought him and to South Korean film, I thought. I loved um, well, I really, Scott I really in the beginning. I thought he was perfectly cast. Wait, I'm sorry, Michael, I didn't hear. Who, who did you say? Scott Wilson in the beginning. Oh, yeah. The evil American. Um, <laughs> I said, pour it all down the drain. <laughs> yeah, but he, play, he played it very low key. He could have played it as over the top, and he didn't. And I'm, I'm well, you know, unlike, yeah. unlike some of the uh, English-speaking actors in... Um, uh, oh, well, yeah, in Snowpiercer, <laughs> and yeah. which were yeah. just... Yeah, um, we'll get to that. One, one of the things I really liked was how, even though this was a very dysfunctional family, they also all were willing to completely put themselves on the line to die to rescue the daughter. Oh my yeah, God, they, what the, they, the, the, the father's death is one of the most moving things oh you'll my ever God. see. The grandfather, rather. And, 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 the, the, and then when he, and he talks about his son, like, you know, you're constantly criticizing him and putting him down and everything. And he tells them about how he was when he was much younger. And you didn't quite get exactly what had happened to him, but something had happened to him. Well, you get, I mean, I got the impression that, you know, the, the grandfather says that he was a drunk and that he was never around yeah. and he was maybe a little abusive. And it was clear yeah. that for whatever reason, the son, who's a little, again, one of those Bong Joon-ho characters with some intellectual disabilities, um, didn't get enough protein or didn't get enough, you know, didn't, right. didn't, didn't right. get enough nutrition to grow up properly. And the father clearly feels, feels guilty for the person the son has yeah. become, even though he gets annoyed at him all the time. Yeah, yeah it's, yes. here, now here, here's the killer. This, remember, this is a director who's made a film called The Parasite, and a film called Parasite, rather, and a film called The Host. And <laughs> you, we are convinced that The Host is the creature, that the creature has this virus. Uh, and it turns out immediately that it doesn't have any virus. And the government does everything they can, including violence, on the part of the soldiers locking people up. And I love Oh, that scene in the hospital where he's starving. They tell him not to eat because we're doing tests. And what has he got? He's got a can of little calamari, little squid that he's eating. So, so <laughs> who? Brilliant. So who is the? Who is the? It's like the birds. It's like Hitchcock and the birds. You know, we start out with birds in a cage yeah. in the pet store, and by the end, the birds have us in a cage in the house in Bodega Bay. So who is the? Why is this film called The Host? Who's the host? Is it the creature or? That's what I thought. I, I was going to say the government bureaucracy. I, I was going to be a little metaphorical and say that since it's so clearly blamed on the United States that, and that we are sort of their guests there, you're right. Yeah, John, I thought yeah. too, maybe the South Korean government is the host, you know, and, and we're the enemy. We're the, not the enemy, but the virus. I mean, we're the, we're the people who have infected that society, literally in this case, by pouring all that crap into the river. Well, even after they find out that the, there was no virus, they continue to do things, go through the motions that there were. They're, they're gassing places, they're pouring more chemicals into it. And it's called, I forget, it's called Agent Green. Agent right? Yellow, Agent Yellow. Agent Yellow, rather. Brilliant. <laughs> instead of Agent Orange, right. which is another allusion to the United States, use of Agent yeah, yeah. Orange in Vietnam. 
chemicals in Asia. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, it is, I, I, I have very, I mean, there are moments of humor, say in a film like Jaws, and a lot of monster movies have, but, but I've never seen anything quite like The Host in terms of balancing those moments. You know, one scene, the, you know, the grandfather dies and it's, it's heart-wrenching, as you say, and then the next yeah. scene is hilarious and the next scene is yeah. heart-wrenching. And it just, and you'd yeah. think, my God, this would never work. Well, also that, that scene, that scene at the, um, the gym where you're seeing all the different faces and everything, and you see all these, you know, these families that have lost loved ones and you, you believe that the daughter is dead. So you go, you go through that, you know, that, that thing of experiencing, you know, that death, but then you find out she's still alive and you're, you, you're really with her because she turns out to be such a hero in her own right. Oh my she's God. a great kid. That was my favorite thing in the film. Yep. You, you, you love her. And you're, and then, and then he rips out your heart again. <laughs> right. And, but it, it always, he always tends to circle back to the beginning in, in all of his films. And in the host, it's the meal. And then it, it, with her and because of her heroism, that little boy has survived and, and he's now sitting down with the father instead of the grandfather and the girl it's the, well, the father and the girl, it's the father and this boy who they sort of officially adopted. And again, who is the boy? The boy is the son of a homeless character. There's another right. dislocated right. soul in the modern South Korean economy, you know, that has no, no yeah. place yeah. to go. I mean, Host is just a masterpiece of tonal shifts. I completely agree with you guys. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of which, <laughs> then there's Mother which is another film that I would say there is nothing quite like it. Have you, you guys have seen that or haven't seen? I haven't. No, no, I have not seen. Yeah, I had that mother is the one I haven't seen. Mother is the story of a, uh, a middle-aged woman, someone who is, as so many Bond characters are, right on the edge of falling into the economic abyss. Her, the one love of her life is her son, who is yet another Bond character who is intellectually um, disabled. And there is a young girl is murdered and he's spotted at the scene and they immediately, as in uh, Memories of Murder, they immediately pull him in. And she knows he didn't do it and she takes it upon herself with the help of a shady friend of her son's to figure out, she realizes, the shady friend says, the only way you're gonna get him out is if you find the real killer. And I, this one I'm not gonna spoil because there are about three different twists where you are absolutely sure you know where this is going and then it turns in a completely different direction. And the performance by the, the woman who plays the mother is just astonishing, just amazing. And, but I'll, I'll give you one twist. It turns out that the, the son has trouble remembering. So the mom has given him this trick of like rubbing his temples. And he says, mom, I remembered something. And she says, what? Hoping it's about the night of the murder. And he says, yeah, I remembered you tried to kill me when I was five. And she starts screaming because she actually did. They were so poor and she's kind of unbalanced herself. It opens. Sounds like it. it <laughs> no, and it opens with, she's in this field of what looks like wheat and she runs right up to the camera and she starts dancing like the midget in a David Lit in Twin Peaks. 
It's just completely surreal. And the film circles back to that moment and how she gets there. And I, I won't say who the actual killer is, but it is just, it was almost as well received as the host was. And I, I think absolutely deservedly so. And again, the overbearing, possibly deranged mother, a character straight out of late Hitchcock. Absolutely. He's clearly a big Hitchcock fan. So no, I, 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 I want to eventually see it. I've, I've read about it. I, it's been a very, very highly praised film. It's, it was not it's on Hulu. easy to find. Yeah, it was on, it was on Amazon, but you had to go get a subscription to something else. They were sort of like a go-between and, <sighs> you know, some, and sometimes you find the movie somewhere, but it's not, that's not the subtitles. Like, well, I don't speak Korean, so I can't watch it in this, you know, <laughs> I looked you forward like and I, I kept getting referred to uh, that other mother, which I saw the one. Um, yeah, I know. That's a problem. And I'm saying now in public to our Vintage Sand audience, how was able, I able to see Mother? I have the DVD. See, honey, that's why we can't throw out all the DVDs and we need to hang on to them and use all that shelf oh, space for my DVD. God, I have right, guys? <laughs> yes. Yeah. See, John and Michael agree. So uh, obviously my wife has to agree. I mean, it's unanimous. Yeah. So Why, and why then, should you pay to see a movie you have on DVD? Well, that's right. No, but, but even more importantly, as you guys said very accurately, films keep appearing and disappearing on Hulu, on Netflix. They're here, exactly. they're there, they're not there. Yeah. They're all over the place. It's like Spotify yeah. with music. music. A song will be on there, and then one day it just won't be. For no explanation. So if I ever want to keep, you know, watching these films, teaching film, you know, where and running film societies and such, I need to hang on also, to my DVDs. Uh, also, a web a YouTube, for example, which pretty much has everything, but they also have a habit of taking things off and putting it on and taking them off and putting in different modes. And sometimes you have to pay for it, and sometimes you don't. A lot of times you're watching a movie and it starts buffering, and it's not because uh, of your internet. It's because they're collecting your data. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. Exactly. And so we know that Bill oh, Gates all put websites, it... All websites do that. Yep. All websites do that, so don't get freaked out. Well, you know, the, uh, the far right says that, Bill Ga that I'm now being tracked by Bill Gates because I had both, uh, both shots in my vaccine, and they've implanted a tracker. That's right. You have, you, you, you have little gremlins inside of you now. <laughs> And they all work for Bill Gates. <laughs> oh my! And so I just keep thinking, you know, if if the if the dislocation and the um, economic inequality is bad here, and Bang is saying that it's ten times worse in South Korea, I can't imagine what it would be like to live in that society. It must be you know, if you're doing well, like the Park family is in Parasite. It's lovely. Yeah. You know, and it's really, yeah. uh, Seoul's become a hot, a really hot spot for the international jet set type. But my God, it is apparently, if Bong is presenting an accurate, accurate picture, which I think he is, it's, it's really, really messed up. And you spend your entire life walking the edge, able to fall off any minute. And that takes us to the film where he, sa he says that, wait, from my taste, way too obviously and that's snowpiercer i mean no. that was my, my first problem. experience with a bong joon movie yeah my problem with snowpiercer and to slightly with parasite much more slightly is that 
The poor are at the back of the train and the rich are at the front. And the poor live at the bottom of the yeah. hill and the rich live at the top of the hill. It's a little too literal, especially in Snowpiercer. And as you guys said, he does not work well with, in, in English, because for me, a lot of, most of Okja didn't work either. Yeah. But it, it, it depends on the actor though, too. Uh, because for example, I mean, Ed Harris is fine in it. Whereas yeah. I guess yes. he, I guess he let Tilda Swinton do whatever she wanted, and I think she's terrible in it. Oh, I mean, Snowpiercer. Snow almost, almost as bad as and she I, is in, I, in but, Yeah, I, yeah, I. But I, you know, I have to say this is personal. She is an actress I do not care for to begin with. I always see her acting. Oh it's no, funny. I disagree. I like her in some things. I think I, she also. And she also Richly played deserved twins. her Oscar in Michael Clayton. Yes. That was the only thing I liked about that one. She also plays twins in Hail Caesar, remember? She plays the twin gossip columnists. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. But she just overdoes every single thing. I mean, and yeah. John Hurt is fine in Snowpiercer. Chris Evans is fine in Snowpiercer. Yeah. He's fine. Yes. Yeah. But... I, it's just so, I mean, if I think it that, really hurts the movie and it's to me, to me, it's sort of a case of an actor really hating the character she has to play. It's like, oh, I have to play an evil character. So yeah. therefore I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do all this stuff and everything, you know, I'm not going to invest any of myself in it because I hate this person. And you right. can't do that. It shows. And the, the woman who plays the school teacher, Alison Pill, who is uh, who was on yeah. uh, who's in Star Trek Picard and was on? Oh, she's very very good, Allison Pill. Yeah, I didn't like her yeah. in Snowpiercer though. As the teacher, no. oh, throw me no. crazy. Oh, and that's another thing that makes me think of another thing. Education is such a big theme in in Bong's work. You know, if you just get to college, everything will be okay. And yet you have the brother in the host who is a graduate and someone in thinking Parasite says, you know, 500 college graduates applied for a security guards job. That's what's happening in South Korea right. now. So the ways that you are supposed to pull yourself up out of this are not there. There's something systematically wrong there. And again, the idea of this train running eternally throughout the entire universe, because we've accidentally frozen the whole planet. Uh, it, and you know, the, they eat, blocks of protein in the back and they eat lovely meals up front. It was just a little, a little too obvious. Heavy handed. Yeah, heavy handed is, is yeah. a good expression. Yeah, that was my initial thought of the movie. Well, so I, got, I mean, no, I was gonna say, I, the first half, 20 minutes or so to half hours, I was very sort of generic. I kind of felt like it could have been anybody that directed it, but as it moved along and it's partly because it became more action oriented, I thought that it got better, but still, very heavy handed the whole way as far as you know good and evil is concerned well yeah. right and 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 also they steal he steals of all the wrong places to steal from he steals from the the matrix sequels because the idea in in matrix uh two and three is that revolution which we think is going to save everybody revolution is just another means of control so when he makes it up to the front car and Ed Harris invites him in, he said, oh yeah, we planned all these revolutions. You know, it's a way for us to cut the population down and let off steam. Yeah, you, you, you think you're rebelling against the system. You're actually just playing right into our hands. And that's what Neo finds out, especially in the second Matrix film, is that revolution is built in to the system. 
it's a part of it. It's not the opposite of it. And okay, so what do we do with that now? Right. I'm ashamed to admit I've never seen either second or third Matrix. I could barely get to. The oh, they're movie. awful. But as brilliant oh. as the first, the, the first one is brilliant. <laughs> The second one has probably the best action scene I've ever seen in my life, the chase on the highway, but two and three are just, I just still can't understand how bad they are. And four is coming out this year. Everybody's oh, been gee, waiting for it. So, yeah. <laughs> Mike's got his tickets already. Yeah. <laughs> the Matrix has you, Michael. As long, long, it has a, they, they have a very devoted following, so as long as they keep making money, they're going to keep making them. Of course. Right, but, but this big idea at the end that the, revolution, that the revolutionaries are actually sort of an unwilling, unwitting part of the plan, it's not exactly a new idea. And then, so why have I, why have I watched this struggle to get to the front of the train to, you know, and again, the social commentary is so heavy handed, like we see Alison Pill as a school teacher and all the kids at the front are, um, are getting this beautiful education. And the kids from the back of the train who get kidnapped at the beginning are literally working the parts of the train. We see them as like actual yeah. parts of the, and again, it's a little heavy, little overdone. That being said, were there moments that you liked in Snowpiercer? I mean, listen, they liked it enough to make a TV series out of it on TBS. So Which I hear is awful. Yeah. I um, well, I have to say that and he's appear, he appears in a lot of his movies is Song Kang Ho, who's really good in it, and he Wonderful. always is. He always is. Yeah, I, I like the fight in the tunnel. He loved, uh, Bong loves tunnels. There's always tunnels and underground dark spaces in Bong's films. Yeah. I love the train tunnel in Memories of Murder. That's a scene I didn't even mention. That's so good. Yes. Where they, yeah, where they, but. When, he, oh, when, he's, when he's firing the gun at him? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I, so I, I did like the fight in the tunnel after they passed the Ekaterina Bridge and, you know, it's New Year again. I just, I don't know. I, I was so, I was disappointed when I saw it and when it came out and watching it for this has not changed my mind much about it at all. I maybe it's the it language again. thing. Once was enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's the language because, you know, as a convenient skip to the next one, I mean, Okja should have worked. And there are parts of Okja that does work as sort of an ecological... Some of it is great yeah. and some of it is yeah. awful. It is so yeah. strange. Yeah, I, I agree. I completely agree. I mean, I, I generally, I like the movie, but I completely agree. There's some scenes in it I think are really great. And, and a couple of performances that are excellent. And then you've got a couple of performances in it that are really bad and some scenes that just don't quite work. Um, I, I have to admit, in the case of Jake Gyllenhaal, oh I did my not God. recognize him. I didn't know it was him. And, but he still, it, it was a dreadful performance and I generally like Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, He's a good actor, but I, yeah, but I, I felt the same way. I was like watching, it's like, what the hell are you doing? And yeah. again, I think that's another case like, I hate this character, so I'm going to make him into a cartoon. I can't help thinking, though, that for the most part, I think it was encouraged by him. Because when so many performances Possibly. go so wrong, Shirley Hendenson, who I love, I think is one of the best British actresses. She played the uh, tiny assistant. Right. Yes. To uh, Tilda Swinton. She's awful in this. Yep. And I, I, I could not believe it. I said, what's happened to you? The only um, American performance that I did like, and it's an actor I don't always like, was uh, uh, Paul... Uh, yes. 
as they had well, the animal, yeah. animal, uh, animal liberation yeah. federal. I thought he was quite good, yeah, he's, but of course that's a good, that's yeah, a he's, noble character. No, and, he's, and, but he's excellent in it, and and also and the girl is excellent. The girl on, was yeah, on I mean so, those oh the girl was young women. Listen, I, yeah, I, she was great. Guys, he Obviously, did something. That, he did something that no director has ever been able to do before, which is make Giancarlo Esposito boring. Yeah, he you gotta, was. You, you got to work. But at least really he wasn't overacting. To, to make Gus Fring boring, and you know, John but at least Carlo he wasn't Pesito, overacting. But he wasn't doing anything. Why was he in the movie? He's sort of the sisters, the twin sisters, yeah. controlling thing. And I like how it does. Like you know, we've been talking about family and how how dysfunctional family, and yet you know the family clings together. You know, clearly the twin sisters yeah. grew up in a psychotic household. You know, and the but the twin sister. <laughs> Is the, is the one who's good at business and, uh, well, yeah, don't they mention Agent Orange? Didn't, doesn't, doesn't the twin sisters say that daddy was the one who sold Agent Orange? Yeah. yeah, the chemical that melts your skin off. So, but God, yeah, you know, I love the opening. I love the scenes in the farm. I love when Oak just saves her from the cliff, you know, yeah. by, by almost sacrificing. It was harrowing, but it was good. Yeah. Yep. And I, I love the scenes in Korea where uh, she, tries to recapture and well, when and, first met. Right. right. Was I alone in seeing the Schindler? Was, I caught the Sh a Schindler's List reference when she first goes to Seoul and we see her running up the stairs of the subway station. Everything else is a blur of gray. You can see her bright red coat. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I I don't, I, I don't know if he, I mean, clearly he's seen oh, well, Jaws a couple I, of times, so. Sure, I mean, at the ending, obviously, with all the other genetically altered pigs, I mean, and going into the slaughterhouse, I mean, it's, it looks like a concentration camp. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, John, absolutely. And, the, but the, even those scenes, I thought were gonna be more tense than they were. It just didn't, the, the only- Most of the New York scenes just didn't work for me. But again, there's another connection. She actually says, Tilda Swinton's character says at one point, we have an understanding with the NYPD. So yeah. there again, transferred to America this time, is that sort of corruption and lack of faith and authority. And the scene in New York, I thought they were going for a King Kong kind of thing. You know, putting the animal on display and then everything goes haywire. Right. right. So yeah. uh, it, it just, it was a mishmash of a lot of different things. She's yeah. so good though. And I don't know, I assume, you know, I, I assume she played all those scenes against a green screen and they put the pig in later. I don't know how they did it, but she was amazing, the girl. Yeah, yeah she was very, very good. My yeah, favorite but, there are, but then again, there's, there's some of those moments are so good though, like, and again, it's his use of action oriented thing, like that chase scene when she's trying to, you know, to get the pig back and everything. Those were, that was excellent. Great. And As I love the part, the part when they're driving the truck and they yes. all catch up, and they, they allow the guys to catch up to them. And the guy, they're just the way it's edited, the way it's done, and they all, one by one, jump off the bridge, the bridge. into the yep. water, and that guy gets out of the truck and you know, makes that gesture towards him, and then you know, kind of waves goodbye and gets on the edge of the bridge and jumps off. The, 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 the driver of the, the first of uh, the truck that has Oakley is my favorite character. Oh my God, yeah. I don't have insurance. He is so okay. funny. I'm not in the union. It's all right. It's okay. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It was really, and, I, and again, circular ending. We come back with the baby pig. 
and it's and you know so we close up we come we come right back to where we started so it's lovely and you know we're, but what was the point they were well, trying there's a to make? scene there's a scene after the credits yes thank you for making me uh you guys oh, I didn't see I didn't see it what was it yeah it's after the credits oh yeah oh, there's a scene after the credits well what happens like now I have you to see okay okay well you see Paul Dano he's being released from prison and that same guy again that he uh, that he was working with meets him and they get on it's I forget is it a bus or it's a bus right that they get on yeah. and they're talking and on all of a sudden they they pull their masks on they're going for you know they're they're just carrying on with what they were doing before carrying on the work and then you but, find and out there's an old couple sitting with them oh, no but then was, you, was, you find out at the end that the the uh, sister the first sister has joined them Matilda Swinton the nice sister this the incompetent right. sister oh okay yeah that's and interesting she's joined them although you don't see her in, in the scene but I mean again was this was this I an love scene, I mean actually. Clearly, the, the allegorical elements are much more nicely baked into the host, you know, but this was, so what's yeah. the message? Genetically manipulated food is bad, but it's feeding a lot of people. I'm not sure what he was trying to, to say to us. I know when in an interview he talked, he said that he had seen a slaughterhouse in Colorado and he, it just, the imp I think it was just the impression on him. Mm -hmm. So maybe that and obviously he's someone who is interested in or concerned about environmental issues. So maybe the two came together and just decided to kind of make a movie out of it, but it doesn't all quite work. Well, fortunately for all of us and for him, because I can't, how many films besides Parasite have won both the Palme d'Or and Best Picture Oscar? Um, Not too many, right? I think three or four. I know Marty did. Marty yeah. won the Palme d'Or? I think so. Wow. Yeah, I know. Scrape at the bottom there. All right. And uh, I think there's two let's, or three. Let's put a call into our fact checkers. Yes, we need, if that's what we need. We need, that's yeah. right, donate. We need your donations. So I, I looked it up at one point. That's where I found out that Marty did. I think there's, you know, I want to say maybe the Lost Weekend, but was that before? But it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, I was listening to the episode we did last year uh, at this time before the Oscars, and we were all of us. I was sure, I, I know you guys didn't like 1917 as much as I, I did, did but I was sure that, we, we all three of us were sure that it was not going to win I, Best Director, that it was not going to win Best Picture, that it might win Screenplay, and I thought Sam Mendes was going to win for Director. And I, th I didn't know what the hell. I thought 1917 was going to win for Best Picture. But, I did too. You know, much to our delight, you know, yeah. it becomes the first movie from anywhere else to, to win the Best Picture. From any, and, foreign, any foreign language. There have been right. English pictures. That have and and it, it is just, the more I see Parasite, the more I like it. And now, I'm so glad we did this episode because now I've, you know, put together some of the pieces from the older films where he was sort of building towards the themes that he does so flawlessly in Parasite. I'm, what yeah, did you guys it's think kind of like you see, it's, it's sort of like when I mean, you see all the movies, you see these building blocks, uh, you see him growing as a filmmaker, sometimes taking two steps forward and one step back maybe, but then in Parasite, it's like he makes, he makes a leap. 
It all, it all comes, my God, there is so much. Yeah. And again, that shift, of, it goes from, from the moment the old housekeeper comes back and we see who's in, the, who's in the sub-basement there, the whole tone of the film just immediately shifts yeah. and it becomes this, this act of desperation and it totally works. I don't know how he does it. But also, and then the, the stormy <clears throat> night, that rain, when they go, have to go back and they hate Captain to go down and down and down, another level, another level. It's like they're going into like, you know, the bowels of hell. Absolutely, John. That is my favorite scene in any Bong Joon-ho film. Because you said before how good he is with motion and the, the endless staircases and the descent into hell is just- Oh my God. Getting home and the sewage is overflowing. They're worried about the guy peeing on their on, on their window all the time. Meanwhile, the sewage is overflowing and all the kids are worried about it. You know, can we get Wi-Fi? Can we get? I love when they sit down for the as in every Bong film, a ritual family meal, and they they are thankful yeah. for the blessings of Wi-Fi. You know, what, what the, the, we bless the bountiful <laughs> Wi-Fi. They literally say, but. The, what I lo also love well, about also, yeah, that, that, that very beginning, that very beginning when uh, <laughs> they're, they're eating together and there's, I guess it's insecticide that's being blown <laughs> or whatever, and they, you know, they want to close the windows and the father says, no, no, keep them open. No, no, no. We'll fumigate our area too. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. Haven't you seen the host? This is bad. <laughs> this is not going to be good. But what <laughs> uh, one of the things I, it would have been a very different movie if the rich family had been a family that had inherited their money and was just sort of, a, but it's clear that the father is a yeah. self-made man. He works very hard. He's not a bad guy. He just doesn't like the smell no. of poverty. That's all. And that's what costs him his life in the end. But I love that. The smell well, of it, poverty. <laughs> we, yeah. We, yeah. The smell of, yeah. Well, uh, it's, po it's possible that, that he, they remind him where he came from from and he wants to you know bury that he doesn't want to ever have to be reminded of or think of that past life again and the sequence of scenes where they get rid of the house staff one by one and replace them is just ingenious the tuberculosis scene and then the panties in the in the limousine scene it's just it's and the peaches don't forget the peaches <laughs> peaches love the peaches. i may able to eat a peach without thinking about the <laughs> but also the the use of music. Which, oh, music's wonderful. Yeah. Right, see, and he doesn't which, which always is another like, leap because music is music is kind of secondary in most of his other movies. But this it seems like to be really really involved with the music and using it in a way to really propel the story. Absolutely, but not, but not and, you know take away from it. And and this moment to me the most like for example the. I know it sounds weird to say, but when you guys get to see Mother, the funniest scene by far in Mother is the funeral of the young girl who's killed. It's hilarious. And then this moment where the old housekeeper's climbing up the stairs and, and, and the mother just like, just like without even looking, you know, just kicks her right back down the stairs and closes the door. I know, it's like a dance routine. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. And, and oh my God, and the husband downstairs and, and, it, and again, that's circling back. So now, once again, we have a new man living under the house. This time, it's the father. We're right back yeah. where we started, in a way. And, yeah. and with, with that ambiguous ending, did that really happen? Did, you know, as I said, did he really make the money and buy the house? And are they going to live the three of them? Ha First I of didn't, all, I can't believe no, I didn't. I, I thought my, my interpretation of the ending was that this 
I mean, it does, it does kind of trick you. For a moment, that's, you believe that really happened. But I think, because he's, he's writing a letter. Right. He's writing a letter, yeah, and, then, right. and then you see at the very ending, he's communicating with him, because he, he had realized where the father was hiding, and he's communicating with him with the Morse code. Like the little oh. boy was communicating with his father when he was out in the tent. Over. <laughs> After everything is over, I can't fall asleep. Over. <laughs> no, and then they show, and then they show the news report about the father, you know, essentially disappearing into thin air, and they mention the closed circuit cameras, and you're like, yeah, wait a minute, why didn't the closed circuit camera catch him when he snuck into the garage and went down? Because the first housekeeper snipped the wires. We find, I mean, it just everything right. fits. It's like a watch. Everything fits so perfectly together. Mike, what, what, what are some of your parasite moments? What did you walk away? Oh, my God. There's, there's so many. Um, I, I just love the character of the maid who gets fired. And then when you find out. Oh, yeah, my God. That was a complete surprise. I mean, it, it came out of left field, she, and yet it made sense. I know. When she came and back, I, you were I mean, like... I love the, I love the very beginning where where they're just searching for Wi-Fi. Oh my! The, uh, the fired housekeeper came back. Who? She was not a bad person at all, or whatever. Because that that is another aspect of of Parasite is that every little step of the way, you keep saying to yourself, "I know what they're doing is wrong, but why am I on their side?" Why do I keep like staying with them? Why do I want them to the succeed? Underdogs. They're the underdogs. Yeah, that's I why. guess I guess that's yeah. And and I Bong guess. always sides with the underdogs, especially in Snowpiercer and uh, and in the host. But here again, you know, the the family, the, the the thing is that the family that works, they, they belong there. They're just as smart and clever as the wealthy family. They things just yes. Oh yeah, wrong for them. Yeah, they they know. I mean, that scene. I love the sister. The only thing I hate about the movie is that the sister has to die. Why does he stab her? Because she's got the cake, I guess. You know, and uh, God, and she the way she does that thing about the art therapy and convinces the mother that something's wrong <laughs> with the son, and and you can see it, and that it's always comes out in this corner of the painting. Do you see what I'm saying? And she's just brilliant. The father says, if you could go to Oxford to be a con man, you should totally do that. <laughs> she's amazing. Uh, there was an, there also, wasn't a you find out that she's this great graphic artist. She makes all the fake resumes and, and ID for them. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and then she, uh, somehow she found out something from the little boy because she says to the mother, did your son see a ghost? Yeah. Yeah, and it turns out she wanted he did, to be alone course. with him. She wanted to be alone with him that first meeting. That was oh, important. She's, she's yeah. She knew what I'm she was sorry. doing. Leave the room. Close yeah. the door. I don't. I don't let <laughs> parents in. No, out. <laughs> it's just. It's just perfect. And I love the meal that they have. Again, another Bong family meal in the yeah. in the in the in the rich family's house, and you know the whiskey and all the food and everything, and then just everything. But it all fits together. It's just an incredible piece of work. There wasn't a single scene in the movie that I disliked. Really, I, I just, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't I, have I, cut a minute out of it or a second out of it. It's almost like The Godfather. To me, it's such a perfect movie. 
totally agreed, Mike. And, and you know, we've talked about the other films, all of them, the, the stronger ones like The Host and the weaker ones like Okja and Snowpiercer, all have, you know, um, brilliant scenes, one of a kind scenes, but also scenes that we could do without. But I yeah. completely agree with you with, with that with Parasite. There, you, you couldn't take a minute out of it. The whole thing would unravel. Yeah, I can't wait to see his next one. No. You know, no, I was, no, I was, it's, go ahead, John. It, it's, it's like a house of cards. You take out one little thing, it all kind of falls apart. Everything fits so perfectly. It's yeah. so meticulous. You know, you know what it, rem it reminds me of, you know, like watching some of Hitchcock's films from the 20s, like The Lodger and Blackmail and Rich and Strange. And you start to see elements of things coming together and then it sort of comes together in Man Who Knew Too Much and then boom, 39 steps and there is Hitchcock. To me, to me yeah. this, is, this yeah. is his 39 steps. Right, right. This is the yeah. moment where it all comes together and his personality as a filmmaker as a complete is he? filmmaker. He's 50. Oh, okay, he's well, that's good. Nine. He's got a good 20, 30 movies, hopefully, and left in him. I hope, I hope so. But, you know, I was thinking that uh, my last thought as, if I had to compare him to an American director, it would be Nicholas Ray. Because I, I had the chance to see Bigger Than Life. Have you guys seen Bigger Than, Than Life, the James no. Mason film about the teacher who has this- Oh, wait a minute, I have. I, was that film for Oh, him? yes, I've seen right. it. I did and see it. Takes, it. And he takes steroids, which were brand yeah, new it. at the time. Yeah. And Nick Ray made films that during the 50s were willing to, you know, in this period of great prosperity for America, was willing to make films, even like Rebel and, you know, whatever you think of it, that were willing to critique you know, this apparently explosive beneficial growth for everyone. To me, Bong Joon-ho is South Korea's Nicholas Ray because you look at South Korea from the outside and you think, my God, what a happy, prosperous society and everyone's doing so well and, and, and the, the, the technology and, and so much money. But right below that surface, right below that surface, just down the hill or just at the back of the train, is all this darkness and this living on the edge of emptiness. Last thoughts. By, well, by the I way, gonna, I did look it up. I was say a little bit of, yeah, I know. Yes, Marty did win. Marty did win. And Marty before, win. And before 1955, they gave out what they call the Grand Prix du Festival awards and uh, the last weekend was one of those winners interesting so you called it michael but i, I remember smiles... because I, I think i looked it up afterwards i said when did this happen before <laughs> didn't smiles of a summer night come out in 55 it did and marty beat that yeah okay <laughs> i'm just saying hey there have been some there, there have been some weird winners for the palm palm door. I yeah. Heard. What do you want to do tonight? I want to play chess with death. What do you want? You know, the tree of the um, wooden clocks one. <laughs> and that's one of the worst well, movies of the 70s. I'm sorry. Oh, God. All right, Vintage Sand fans. So if you were not already a Bong Joon-ho fan, see them all. They're all available now. They're out there. Some come back in and out, but all seven are worth your time. And I would not, it would not be a bad idea to go in chronological order, which is what I did. No. Right. To see, to yes, see how it yeah. develops. If you haven't seen them, definitely. Yeah. But I mean, top of the list are definitely, for me, are the host and mother and memories of murder. Those are the other truly great ones, in my opinion. So now we haven't, we haven't recorded an episode since December. 
So we have, we have been too long gone. So unfortunately, we have uh, a rather long necrology. However, we are blessed in that we have master thespian Mike Edmund, who has put together his uh, quick necrology list of all the amazing people that we have lost in the last couple of months. And it's a really I like to read list. obituaries. <laughs> Somehow that totally fits, Michael. It really does. <laughs> okay. I will go in order. Maybe you, should, of, maybe you should write obituaries. Maybe I should. I figure of the three of us, I'm probably going to be the next person to go. So maybe that I just We can arrange that, Michael. No, I'm no, not, no, don't no. go there. Yeah, seriously. You know, I, I, I can't I just, say that in COVID, man. I just expect to see my name and it says coming soon. <laughs> anyway, I'm doing this in, in order of their uh, death date. Uh, Pamela Tiffin. Died at 78. Uh, her films, mostly in the 60s, included Summer and Smoke, One, Two, Three. Scarlet Hazeltine. And The Hallelujah Trail. And uh, she moved to Italy. She got married. She did a few films over there, and she basically retired. And I saw her once on stage when I was 11 in Dinner at Eight, uh, playing the uh, Jean Harlow role. She was very good, played opposite Darren McGavin. Yeah, she was, I, well, I, you know, one, two, three is one of my favorite Wilder films. Oh, I well, love her too. We that. talked about yeah. it. Uh, Anne Ranking, uh, 71. Ah. She only made four films, but there were four major films by four major directors. Uh, All That Jazz by Bob Fosse, your most famous. Movie Movie, by Stanley Donnan, Annie, Funny. John Huston, and Mickey and Maude. Uh, Blake Edwards and she they wanted her to do more films but uh, she wanted to stay in New York she had a de developmentally disabled child and I know people who have worked with her as a choreographer they love her she was just so highly thought of Joan Minkin Silver we ah. could do a really someday ah. I think we should do a, a women directors podca podcast uh, her films and only seven theatrical films her most famous ones were Hester Street, which she distributed herself, her and her husband. Lovely movie. Uh, Between the Lines, Chilly Scenes of Winter, also known as Head Over Heels, and Crossing Delancey. And Crossing Delancey, which, which was a I, big hit. I showed at uh, my synagogue. I actually did a film night at my synagogue with Crossing Delancey. So. And she died at 85. I would love to do another one, another episode just on women directors. Her Between the Lines is a great film. That's the one about like the, the, the Chicago Reader Village Voice kind of local. Yeah, and paper. it brought yeah. to uh, Jeff, people like Jeff Goldblum and uh, Lindsey Krauss and uh, John Hurd. Very good movie. Great movie. Uh, Michael Apted. Mm. Died at 79. His British director, his films included Stardust, Agatha, Coal Miner's Daughter, mm. Continental Divide, Gorky Park, Gorillas in the Mist, The World is Not Enough, and his most famous films are the documentaries. The Seven up and series. 14 up, 21 up, 28 up, 35 up, 42 up, 49 up, 56 up, and 63 up. I could only do about two or three of those, frankly, guys. <laughs> I got, after a while, I just said, I don't care about you people anymore. Well, but Richard Linklater took the idea and, and ran with it in a fictional film, so he's- Yeah, he's, that was better. That worked better <laughs> to, than I, I thought. Walter Bernstein, mm -hmm. 101. He's most known- Wow. For, uh, uh, yeah, and he was doing a lot of lecturing 
uh, up until he died, from what I understand. Um, his most famous film, of course, which John talked about in our political uh, films, uh, where it was The Front, Front. Which, he, Front. which he received an Oscar nomination. His other uh, screenwriting uh, uh, films were um, Paris Blues, Failsafe, The Molly Maguires, Semi-Tough, The Betsy, Yanks, and The Couch Trip. Good he was one of the original people to be blacklisted. Right, yes. he was one of the 10, yeah. Yes. I don't think he was, was he one of the um, Hollywood 10? Wasn't he? I don't I think, think so. so. No? Look it up, John. Get our fact checkers on it, John. Put it fact checker. Yes. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll keep going. Gunnar Lindblom, yeah. uh, one of Ingmar Bergman's actresses. Sure. Her most famous film is The Silence. She played, uh, you know, one of the two sisters. She had supporting roles in The Seventh Seal, Wild Strawberries, Winter Light, Scenes from a Marriage. And she was also a director. And she directed six films, one of which I saw called Summer Paradise, which was an adapta adaptation. She's not as famous, I think, as the other Bergman performers because she didn't do any films in English that I know of. Right, she did she's have not the development. She did have a long career, though. She uh, was in the original Swedish film, uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, next, Hal Holbrook mm. died at 95. His Oscar nomination is for Into the Wild, and he was seen in Magnum Force, Capricorn One, Julia, The Star Chamber, Wall Street, The Firm, Lincoln, and my favorite uh, Hal Holbrook performance as Deep Throat in All the Presidents. In uh, All the Presidents Men, sure. Uh, and a great, and a brilliant stage actor, too. Perfect in it. He was wonderful. Cloris Leachman. Uh, she won the Oscar for The Last Picture Show. Her film debut, which I didn't know until a few weeks ago, was Kiss Me Deadly. Really? You see that? Yes, of course, right. She's running down the street, yes. the highway. I remember that. Yeah. I didn't I know it was Cloris Leachman. Right before they opened um, the movie. And I have a uh, I contend that the reason she won the Oscar for the last picture show, that was an incredibly strong list of best supporting actresses. I didn't, nobody thought she was going to win because everybody predicted that she was going to split the votes with Ellen Burstyn. But and everybody thought Anne Margaret was going to win for Carnal Knowledge. She was also great. She but was great. She um, just finished her second season as Phyllis on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And her character in the last picture sh show was so different from Phyllis <laughs> that I, I contend yeah. that's the reason she won it. She deserves it. Oddly enough, though, apart from her small role in um, uh, Daisy Miller, she never did another drama. Well, she's Frau Booker. That's all I need to know. Frau Booker right. and he Nurse Diesel. He was my boyfriend. <laughs> and Nurse Diesel. And Nurse I Diesel. I think <laughs> Those who are tardy do um, not get fruit cup. <laughs> yeah. I think she steals anxiety. So Cloris Leachman at 94. And day after, Cicely Tyson. Uh, age 96. Oddly enough, she did not do a lot of theatrical films uh, where right. she had major roles. In fact, the yeah. only one is Sounder, which he should have won the Oscar. She is Bet. so brilliant in that movie. Uh, her other uh, uh, theatrical films was The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, The River Niger, A Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich, 
Bust Them Loose, Fried Green Tomatoes, The Help, Diary of a Mad Black Woman. She's best known besides Sounder for her TV performance in the Diary of Miss Jane Pittman. Pittman and Roots. And, it's, and Roots. If you guys roots, yes. haven't seen the TV film of The Trip to Bountiful, there was a TV made, a film made of it. I didn't see it, but I saw it on stage. And she is as good as Geraldine Page was in the original film, but she's very different and it's worth watching. I don't know where you can find it, but it was on, and she made it when she was in the late 80s. And that's a major role. She did that yeah. on Broadway, right? Yeah, she won the Tony right. Award, like in 87. Right. And um, excellent, superb actress. Alan Burns, who's best known for his television work. He co-created the Mary Tyler Moore show, and he was one of the original writers to Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yes. <laughs> um, he did, uh, won an Oscar nomination for his adaptation of 1978's A Little Romance, hmm. the one with uh, Olivier and Diane Lane. He also wrote and directed Just Between Friends with Mary Tyler Moore and wrote Just the Way You Are with uh, Christy McNichol. Hmm. <coughs> Christopher Plummer, uh. age 91. He won the Oscar for Beginners and was nominated for the Oscar for All the Money in the World and The Last Station. His other films include The Sound of Music, which he's most famous for, Inside Daisy Clover, The Man Who Would Be King, Murder by Decree, Somewhere in Time, Star Trek um, Six. Six, this, oh my God, yeah, The Undiscovered Country. <laughs> Malcolm X, Wolf, 12 Monkeys, The Insider, a Beautiful Mind, Inside Man, and Knives Out. I think Christopher Plummer is a great example of an actor who got better and better and better. Absolutely. Agreed. 100%. Absolutely. Did you guys see age? Did you see his King Lear? Yeah, I liked his Lear. I didn't like the production. I did not like his, his Macbeth was a disaster. Yes. Did you see it? I it did. Awful. awful. But they didn't have a director for that, so... Uh, Wait, and he was in—he was in *Othello* with James Earl Jones in the '80s, right? Yeah, On... which he got wildly praised. I didn't like him. Now maybe he had I, I loved. That was the first time I'd seen Shakespeare on Broadway. I was like 17. I loved it. I mean, I just thought. I—I he... I was disappointed. I saw it late into the run, though, which might have had something to do with it. I thought Plummer was overacting. The funny thing was, he has this leading role in *The Sound of Music*, the most successful movie that came out at that time. And he doesn't get any leading roles really ever since then. And I think the reason is he's so dreadful in the sound of music. He thinks he's dreadful in it. Yes. Oh, I, I love him in my favorite well, performance of his because I, I love the film so much. Is, don't is tell that to 13 year old girls. So, yes. The, oh, don't tell that to gay men. Gay men love that movie. <laughs> I'm the only gay man who apparently doesn't like the sound of music. I love him as Kipling in The Man Who Would Be King. It's just, it's, it's a, he's but not it's a in it too much, small but it's role. great performance. Wow. But it's a small part. And you'd think that a guy who was in the most successful movie of all time would have been a, a big film star, but he, he wasn't. He got supporting roles and it was because 
the sound of music. He's just not good in it. He looks like he wants to be anywhere else. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, some of it may have been by choice. Maybe he got offered roles after that that were very it similar that he just didn't want to do. It could be. It's possible. But, uh, you know. Because I know he, I think he was fairly outspoken later, too, about how much he disliked the disliked sound Disliked it, although at, towards the very end when they had a reunion, he said he was appreciative of the film. And he loved working with Julian. Oh, well, that's nice of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jean-Claude Carrier. Mm, screenwriter. Writer. His Oscar nominations were for The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. That obscure object of desire and the unbearable lightness of being. He was also, a, I think, in 2015 or 16, uh, received an honorary Oscar. Uh, his other uh, films included Diary of a Chambermaid, Belle de Jour, The Milky Way, The Thief of Paris, The Tin Drum, Godard's Every Man for Himself, The Return of Martin Guerre, and Valmont. Uh, I, I mean, all those great late Bunuel films are, are, are with him. And I happen to be one of the three people who loves uh, Unbearable Lightness of Being. I mean, I recognizing like it's not the book. It's not close to the book, but it's as taken in and of itself. It's a very good film. Yeah. And yeah no, I, I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I like the movie and I did read the book. Um, I always thought the book was, I don't know, am I sacrilege by saying kind of overpraised? No, but it's just fundamental miscasting because Daniel Day-Lewis is way too young for that part. That's, yes. that's what people object yes. to, yeah. The doctor no. is much older yeah. in, the, in the novel. Yeah. And the last one is Lynn Stalmaster, mm. the casting director who died at 93. The only casting director to receive an honorary Oscar and the first casting director to receive an on-screen credit in the Thomas Crown Affair. He started with I Want to Live in 1958. And among actors, he helped uh, nurture and get the major roles were Dustin Hoffman, Jeff Bridges, Christopher Reeve, and John Travolta. Yeah, I remember Travolta, that was the big one. Yeah. Well, we have, we have lost, anyway, a slice that we've lost too many people. But listen, hopefully by next time we convene, I, you know, I've had shot number two, Michael, you will have had number two, and John, you will have yeah. number one. One. So we'll be on our way to someday working together in the same room. It's been over oh, a year now. So. so I know it's been great. So for our March episode. So March uh, episode, Walter Bernstein, okay. Walter Bernstein, he's not listed as one of the original Hollywood 10, but he was blacklisted in 1950. He, he, he associated himself, he, he was associated with Red Channels. His name appeared in Red Channels. Ah. And then it kind of snowballed from there. So I know he was one of the key people who was totally against Elia Kazan getting that honorary Oscar. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, so for our March, which it looks like we still not will not be able to do in the same room, but we will give it our full college team effort nonetheless. Um, we're gonna talk about we've talked about how one of the things that made Parasite sort of the, uh, the, the culmination of Bong's work so far is his use of music. And we are going to talk about our favorite scores. And that, we're setting down the ground rules. We're talking about instrumental music scores for originally written for a particular film. Otherwise we get into messy territory. But I have a feeling 
I have I know where we're going this. We may have to like set vertigo aside as a special category. Yeah, we just like otherwise let's do we'd vertigo all and then we'll do our top five other ones because I think we're all in agreement on that one. But mm -hmm. I think what you're gonna find, um, as I've started to think about this, is a lot of director composer pairs. Um, oh, yeah. I, will, I will leave that yes. to your imagination. So we 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 are as always, bloodied but unbroken, we are Team Vintage Sand, John Meyer, Mike Edmund, and your humble narrator, Josh Cabot. And we are Vintage Sand, a five nines and a four production. Want to thank uh, Melissa for the tech help, Mama Sue for the haul, and Gabby for our cool logo. Uh, we are now on three major platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Listen to us there. Please check out our website www.vintagesand.com. Uh, suggestions, we've got uh, extra information, uh, viewing suggestions, and we love your suggestions on future episode topics. So until we meet again, happy watching. Keep washing your hands even if you've been vaccinated twice. Keep wearing your mask even if you've been vaccinated twice. Right. Please be good. Stay safe. And, it's not over yet. Because there's a lot more good episodes of this podcast to listen to. So if for no other reason, Please stay safe. And remember, we wish you, as always, may your favorite films always be streaming.